Second reading comes from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has been given mo- who has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back here with you on a lovely warm Sunday. Better to be in here than across there too. Not that I don't like the old building, but this has an air-conditioned advantage, which I enjoy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you would gather us here this morning. We pray, Lord, at this time that you'll touch our hearts with the truth of your word, that we may ever more draw closer closer to you and grow closer in love to you. Amen. So, returning to our series, Living in the Shadow of Jesus' Return. Oh, whoops, one other notice. I neglected, it's not Ray's fault, it's my fault. I neglected to mention this to Ray. It should have been in the notice sheet. 2pm this Saturday at Norwest Church, Anglican Church, is the farewell for the Bishop, uh, Ivan Lee. Has that been announced? Pardon? Flyer. Oh, thanks, Ray. Oh, thanks, Chris. Now I'll start. (laughs) Full of embarrassment. (laughs) Guys, Jesus is... um, answering the questions from the disciples of what will happen at the end and how will we know. 
So what he's doing is asking us, or telling us, telling the disciples how to be prepared. That's the context for what we're looking at today. So capturing Jesus' heartbeat through this is what I hope we can do. I'm not going to go through the story verse by verse. It's, uh, it's very familiar. And I would have found that tedious even if you didn't, if you wouldn't. So I want to capture Jesus' heartbeat through what he's saying here. Today is the second most hardest topic to preach on. Why? Because it's about money. You may remember the old versions of the Bible had uh, talent written down. The new version's got gold. I don't think it makes much difference. Uh, in fact, maybe the new version makes it more clear because the word talent has got a couple of meanings since it was written down 2,000 years ago. So talent in, uh, in Greek, the word is talanton. And it means money. But it's very easy to read this passage, and I did for a long time, not completely understanding the, the, what was behind it. He's talking about money. Now, we can overlay the, the concept of money with the concept of talents, which is a modern idea. Because if you're a person that's got talents like singing or music or writing or something, and you're not good using those for the Lord, they are talents too that the Lord is going to ask us how we went with. So I don't want to leave that um, theme undiscussed, but that's about all I want to say on it, because today this is literally talking about money. So the only topic that's harder, I think, than, um, than talking about money is talking about romance, teaching the Song of Songs, which I've never been going to do. So we're on what, in my mind, is the second hardest sort of topic to talk about. Of course, it fires our souls and it, it chastens our greed and it digs into our dignity about what we do with our money. But that's what it's about, because that's what the Greek means. So, as with ten maidens, this is a parable as much about exclusion and inclusion. Once again, something the world doesn't like. Now... Let me make it clear too that as we come to this passage, I do not subscribe to prosperity teachings. For he who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I'm not talking about gathering wealth. Now I'm not saying that God does not want to bless us. I want to bless my kids. I have limited resources. God has no limit to his resources and he may well want to bless his kids. Well, we know he does. But it doesn't mean he's going to bless us with wealth. He may choose that. And wealth that comes from God comes without aggravation, it tells me in Proverbs. But that's God's decision. We don't come to, to the Lord to become rich. We come to the Lord to be forgiven. Anything that happens after that comes in a correct order. So... He who gives me my breath also gives me my money. Now we talked last week about being a steward with our breath and certainly that's going to come up in next, uh, in next week's passage. I'm a steward of my money as much as I am of my breath. I am, being given for, uh, I am the steward of my money for the Lord as much as I am a steward of my breath. 
Both come from him. I'll get that right. Stewardship echoes faithfulness. The absence of being a steward is the absence of faithfulness because the steward's just doing your duty, being, doing what you've been asked to do. And it's not the volume that you create that counts, but the efforts you expend. For he is the only examiner, accurate examiner of a man's heart. Always remember the widow's might. Now, it tells me in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, who can understand the heart of man but the mind of God? For the heart is wicked and deceitful and beyond all understanding. So I think I might get my heart right, but my heart can teach me that God wants me to be rich so I can just go and chase money. Money is neutral, it's morally neutral, but gee, it's a play to the soul. How hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So I want to just leave that fact there hanging, that money is morally neutral, but it's the love of money that gets us into problems. And the Bible says it's the root of all evil. So God examines the heart. Now remember the story of, of the widow's might in Luke, I think Luke 18. She gave out of her poverty and she was honoured because what she gave was from a generous spirit. It wasn't the volume of what she gave, it was the spirit it was given in and she is, uh, she is commended to. This is Jesus' heartbeat. It's expensive to serve Jesus on earth but it is far more expensive not to. Just dwell on that for a moment in implications. It's expensive to serve Jesus on earth, but it's far more expensive not to. Because if I'm busy serving myself in this context, uh, chasing brass, I don't get into heaven, do I? Because my heart is after money, it's not after the Messiah. In following all God's Bible truths, I would rather be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. I don't think that's a hard decision when you're living in the light. Because that's what the light's teaching you. Walk the straight walk. Walk the straight and narrow. That's what the good Lord's saying. But the people in the world, they don't understand there's a straight and narrow. They're walking a very wide, simple, easy road. And they will judge you for walking a straight and narrow road and in fact, you'll puzzle them. They will not understand why you walk that way. But it's better to have somebody puzzled or even aggressively angry towards you and live for the judgment of the Lord than to live for the approval of that person that would disapprove you if you were living for the Lord. The approval of man is worthless. So if I keep in my mind that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm living with the finish line in sight. And that's all you need. That's all anyone ever needs on the face of this planet to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Anything else is indifferent at best. So <clears throat> Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 25 to number our days aright. We're going to look at that a bit more in a moment. With eternity in mind, he knows the competitors to him that we shelter in our hearts. One of the competitors to him clearly could be money. His counsel, which is why he doesn't answer the prayers when we ask for a competitor, his counsel is to remove the competitors to himself upon earth, lest we lose him forever. 
our heart is still attuned to something else. And massive is a, money is a massive competitor to Jesus. And countless have, fall by its, have fallen to its seductions. Don't cast tomorrow's betterment upon the altar of today's impulses. Once again, as Esau did. See, I can chase money today from the impulse of my desires and lose tomorrow's betterments because I wasn't walking with the Lord. My chasing of money, my chasing of wealth, my chasing of accumulation has put me in a position where I'm more important, it's more important to me to be thinking about my money today than thinking about the finish line at the end with Jesus. Life is a battleground, it is not a playground. And a battleground is when I come to a decision in my life that's a T intersection. Left is wrong, right is right. Left is unrighteousness, right is righteousness. The battle is to always choose for righteousness. So if you're offered money, if you're offered promotion, if you're offered things that'll take you away from the Lord, the righteous decision is to say no and secure your place in heaven for how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. It's interesting in the Bible doesn't say the rich men don't get into the kingdom of God. They just say, the Bible, Jesus just says, it's really, 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 really hard. So life is a battleground. It's not a playground. The battle is always to choose for righteousness. And here Jesus tackles the place of money in being ready for his return. Psalm 90 says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, and so finish well. Gain a heart of wisdom. The world does not have a heart of wisdom. And we're going to see that when I start looking at a series we've, we've got prepared on Jerusalem and Babylon. Because Babylon follows the things of the earth. Babylon marches towards gold. And when you get to Revelation 18 where Babylon gets destroyed, the merchants are in a boat on the sea looking back at this uh, city that's destructed. We will get to this in about six weeks. It's, it's being destroyed. And the merchants do not lament the destruction of Babylon. They lament that they can't make money anymore. The world does not have wisdom, does not know how to finish well. Let me read you a couple of verses from Luke 12. Parable of the rich fool. I'll just read the um, second half of it. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Now that's one thing I don't want to hear from the Lord, that I'm a fool. Because if he, if he says I'm a fool, he's got it right. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. He thought he had all his life ahead of him, that he could enjoy the wealth that he had created. But tonight his life was required of him. 
so he met his maker, a greedy man. Two out of the three servants were wise, knowing that their master would would return. But one servant was deadly foolish. Now, Jesus also tells me wisdom is proved by her children. So the wisdom the first two guys in this parable expressed was proved well. The children of the actions they were wise to do blessed them. But the child of the wisdom of the third man I'm looking at the wrong pass. The child of the wisdom for the third man was loss, fearsome loss. How's it go? Take the talent from him and give give it to the one who has the ten talents. For For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw, get listen to this, and throw that worthless servant, he's already been called a fool, now he's been called worthless, throw that worthless servant outside into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what his wisdom delivered was destruction. Wisdom will be proved correct by its children. So five facts. It looks like the master isn't returning and I suspect lethargy uh, would also... uh, be part of this uh, narrative, although it doesn't say so. It just says the master was a long time returning. Now, trust is easily displayed or trust is easily lost. So what happened when the master returned, the first two guys had displayed their trustworthiness. The third guy hadn't displayed any trustworthiness at all. There's an old saying, I think it's an African one, that says... Once a well has been tainted with bitterness, it stays bitter for a long, long time. And that's trust. If you've trusted somebody and they've let you down, it's highly unlikely you're going to be quickly to readjust your trust in them again. You'll say that person's not trustworthy and treat them accordingly. That's what Jesus has done. As I said earlier, the size of the reproduction is never at issue. Only the fact of it. The money was clearly given for trading, not for burying. And the day of reckoning will arrive. Because Christianity is about amending life. I've become a Christian, God's forgiven my sins, and the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, is impressing upon me each day the things I need to bring under his rule that are still under my rule. And it's my rule that's going to corrupt me, it's not Jesus' rule. Who's more likely to hurt me, me or Jesus? Me. The day of wet reckoning will arrive, so I need to amend my life accordingly. The master has wisely appointed, apportioned a scale, a burden of responsibility. He does that in verse 15. Another he gave two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now I stand here quite well chuffed. Why? Because God can never say to Jeff Taylor, you never led singing. Because I don't have any ability at it. In fact, once I was up preaching in a church, had a, a large area, probably even larger than this on the stage, 
There's a van behind us, and the lady who's leading the van said, Jeff, stand aside, will you? You're putting them off. And just to prove that prove that's true, I've got a daughter, she's not a little girl anymore, but when she was two, I used to try to sing to her at night. I love her so much. She two, okay? Truth, two. She said, Dad, please don't sing to me. True story. So I can't be asked by the Lord what I did with my singing or musical ability. When I was at a, at a teacher's college, we had music exams. Now, I wasn't doing very well in music, so the music teacher got me in and he played either end of the piano. I didn't know why I did that. He said, which one of these ends is louder? Which is a higher note, which is a lower note? I said, I've got no idea. And he said, that's okay. And I passed. <laughs> I got nothing like that. But God said to me, Jeff, did you actually do any teaching for me? Well, then maybe I'm going to be held to account. So, God gives us things according to our abilities. Now, out of God's gifts of my pennies or my pounds, I will be measured, I will be judged. I want to read Romans 12. Next slide, thanks. Because I want to develop this point about um, ability. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. Now, yes, keeping pride away from yourself. You need to think of yourself each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. So it's clear there I don't know how God measures it, but person A might get 10 units of faith and person B gets 20 units. So person, you, person B is going to have a larger accountability when it comes to the issue of faith. He goes on and he says, For as in one body we have many members and the members do not, ha have, do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Gifts that differ. I can't be judged for a gift you have and you can't be judged for a gift I have. God's grace has apportioned that to us. Let us, use, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving in proportion to our faith, the one who teaches in his teaching in proportion to his faith, the one who exhausts in exhortation in proportion to his faith. Can you see the point that we're making here? That God has measurements according to what we can and what we can't do. Now, obviously, that's why the fellow, the, the, the third fellow, only got one, one talent, or one bag of gold. God knew he wasn't sharp with money. So the Lord, his master, only gave him one piece of gold. Now, I want to say, though, as a little side, a little caveat. Tells me 1 Corinthians 14. Eagerly desire the higher gifts. Moses starts to list the gifts. So, if I want to eagerly desire the gifts that the Lord will give me, pray for them. Pray that increase your faith. Pray that Pray that uh, God will increase your wealth if you're going to give it to him. But don't pray that for yourself. 
pray that your faith can be increased, your, the hospitality, your administration can be increased, your gift of healing can be increased. Whatever it is that you want more of, you can ask the Lord for it. And it's not tidy in giving. So I add that. If I ask for something, or I can ask for something, I want to increase in my life. He invites us to. So a couple more facts. Faithfulness is honoured with approval, joy and more responsibility. That is trust. Come. Jesus says come to the approval to those he approves. He doesn't say that to those he disapproves. The commendations are equal. The volume was never at issue. Someone who can produce a million dollars on their money or the same person that could produce one dollar on their money is going to receive an equal commendation because it's according to the abilities we've been given. Volume was never the issue, it was only stewardship. There is either reward or rejection, there's no middle ground. Reward or rejection, that's what the categories are. And there is no self-defence. If you've got your Bibles open, listen to this. His master, uh, sorry, then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. couple of things. One, he's blaming the master for his lack of productivity because I know what you're like. It's the master's fault. It wasn't his fault. Now, you're not going to go to God and say that, are you? You're not going to say, well, it's your fault, Lord. You're waiting for the, for the bottle of lightning. The bottle of lightning probably hit you before you got all the words out. But he goes on further. He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Guys, the opposite of light is dark. Opposite of friendship is an enemy. The opposite of faith is fear. For we live by faith, we do not live by sight. Now, if you think about the Apostle Peter, when Jesus is in the storm and he gets out of, and Jesus is walking on water, and it's all murky, he couldn't quite see Jesus. And Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, if that's you, Lord, call me. To this figurine he could see through the mist. So the Lord calls him. And Peter hops out of the boat. Fear would have said, don't get out of that boat in the raging storm, you're going to drown. But he had the faith of a child at that point, and he stepped forward and walked on the water. Fear would have stopped him. Now I can just imagine... I don't know how many were else in the boat. There's probably another 10 or 11 in the boat. They're all going across the Sea of Galilee. They'd be, they'd be saying things like, you fool, but they probably have a few adjectives in it as well. He would not have been meeting their approval for stepping out of the boat. But he did step out of the boat. The only time he started to sink was when fear came upon him. He looked around and he saw the storm and the waves took his eyes off the Lord and he started to sink. But you know the good thing about faith in the Lord. The 
The Lord was there immediately. Reached out his hand, lifted him up and put him in the boat. Pushed the boat straight back to shore. Two miracles in there. Three miracles. And you see that if I'm living as a Christian, I'm going to take the steps of faith and I'm not going to let fear be a motivator of me. But that's what the third servant was. He was motivated by fear, not faith. So in the long run, what was in the servant's heart? It was still number one, himself. He was still more concerned about himself because he was afraid he could get in trouble. So he tried to avoid the trouble, but he got more. My eternal prosperity depends upon my use of my earthly prosperity. It's about using our pennies to the master's benefit. Pennies are not to be kept in the pocket nor buried in a bank. In fact, what the Lord invites us to do is to be a river and not a reservoir. So let's tie this all together. Readiness is not a matter of passive waiting, but rather responsible activity that produces results which we which please the master. And please note that anything we do on earth, and I'm sorry you've got to hear this, Stephen, even with the rectory, anything we do on earth doesn't survive, no matter how noble and good it is. The only thing that survives the return of the good Lord are souls. So if you've been given a gift of building, use that wisely for the Lord. If you've been given a gift of uh, evangelism to use that wisely for the Lord. So the only thing that's ever going to survive the return of Jesus are people. Discipleship is not playing it safe and so achieving nothing. Those who play it safe actually lose it all. There is reward or there's rejection. There is no middle ground. Being ready is not merely trying to keep our slate clean but active in this parable with the selfless and diligent use of your money. Don't forget that salvation is not earned, but it is kept or lost. Faith is made complete with what we do. <coughs> James tells us, for faith without works is dead. Remember, our room in heaven is not unconditionally guaranteed. So the choice always becomes to live for the approval of one. The servant still lived for his own benefit. It was not a step of faith. It was only motivated by, by fear. Self-protection uh, self was more important for the third servant than uh, reproduction. It is the stickability that reveals the heart. You know if you're finishing the race. You know if you've got the power to finish the race by if you've got your eyes set on that finish line. No prosperity arrives when money is planted in your pocket. So can I suggest when you're in a race you've got to keep your eye fixed on that finish line. You want to breast the tape. But it doesn't matter how you get across the tape is you get across the finish line. Even if you crawl across, you get across. But if you haven't got that, that tape in sight for this race that you're running, you're not going to finish. The 
There'll be a distraction on the way that will take you off that, that, um, that line, that white line across the path that you're running on. Now, guys, if I'm going to finish a race, no one finishes a race if they are not moving at the end. I have to be moving at the end. Preparation and diligence are bed partners. You're looking for Jesus' return. Those who find their eyes fixed upon the finish line do not have their eyes fixed on money. This is the great joy of the lesson from, from this, uh, this parable today. I don't have my eyes on money if I've got my eyes on the finish line. I'm trusting the Lord for the money. Who wants to look after my tomorrows? So I'm not getting distracted by the things of the world or the greed of the world and the seductions of the world. Because my eye is on that finish line and all Jeff Taylor wants to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Live for that and that alone. Salvation does not come from the ascent of the head but rather the consent of the heart. Nothing in this ever-changing world matters more than the approval of Jesus. This is living in the shadow of Jesus' return. But I want to suggest that we be fearfully eager to greet Jesus. I actually don't want the Lord to say, but you had this gift, Jeff, and you didn't use it for me. You had this money, you didn't use it for me. It's better to fear the Lord than to take him for granted. So guys, just when you thought it was finished, I had a postscript. How to leave a good inheritance. And it's not surprising, things of the Lord are always opposite to the things of the world. So, the psalmist says, I guess it's King David, I have been young and now am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are ever giving generously and lend freely. The righteous are ever giving generously and lend freely and their children will be blessed. Here's the conundrum. You can see it, can't you, Steve? I bless my children when I'm generous with my money. I don't put it all in the bank for them. And I'm trusting God that after I've handed my knife and fork in, he too will be generous to my children as I was generous to others. Generosity is the bank of heaven. Let's bow our heads. Our Lord, you examine our hearts and you know our souls. Lord, please water the good that's in our hearts, the good that you've planted there, and please starve the indulgences that we've put there, Father. For, Lord, it's easy to say, and we want to do it, Lord. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.